Let's look at Luke chapter 8 tonight. Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower, and, and uh, Jesus interprets the parable. We're familiar with the terrible. Ter <laughs> <clears throat> Luke 11, I'm sorry, Luke 8, verse 11. Boy, my mind is where, I don't know, I'm already going to have jet, jet lag here before we even start. Uh, but uh, I wanted to give, I usually give a sort of state of the church um, sermon at the start of the year. And uh, so I wanted to do that tonight. And I want to preach to you. Um, from this passage, particularly verse 15, where Jesus talked about bringing forth fruit with patience. Let's stand together and read Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, reading down to verse 15. These are the words of God. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they had heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity tonight to consider this parable, most familiar parable, but to consider the message that you have for us and that each one of us are one of these types of hearers. And over time, it will be revealed which type. And I ask, Lord, for the sake of Jesus Christ, that every one of us here would be that last type that received the, the word, that received the seed and good ground, good soil, and who with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. And I ask that you would help us to understand what that means and what that requires of us. And I pray that we would be then diligent uh, to be fruitful. Please help me, Lord, as I preach the word tonight. I ask that what is preached would be a help to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Gardening requires patience, which is why I am not a gardener. I can have patience with many things. Plants. I let my wife do it. Here's, here's the, the sum of my gardening. I stand in the garden holding uh, a hose and going like this while I talk to my wife. And she tells me all kinds of stuff about the plants and what kind of plants they are and all that stuff. And I listen and I like the conversation. And if I contribute anything, it's the water. That's it. I'm a waterer. All right. Watering is part of gardening. Watering is not the sum of gardening. My wife is a gardener. I'm a waterer. That's it. Right there. I, I am good also at picking fruit when it's ripe. Ears of corn in particular, I really like that. 
But I don't like waiting on results. Really. You know what they say, watch water never boils? And more than one pot of water has failed to boil under my watchful eye while I stood there waiting. <clears throat> Come on. I keep turning it up more, and it keeps not boiling. And then I walk away, and it boils. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm impatient with myself, especially with things. I get an ideal in my mind for what I should be or what I should be doing, where I ought to be in my Christian life, and then I'm impatient to get there, to reach it. Why am I not there already? Today I decided that I needed to be this, and tomorrow I'm confessing the sin of not being that uh, yet, and uh, there needs to be time. Fruitful Christianity requires a stick to itness, a determination, a kind of tenacity that this is what we're going to do. We're going to have setbacks, but we're going to strive. And we're going to keep striving. Maybe, maybe it would be easier for us to be patient if we didn't have so far to go. You know, the most impatient part of a long drive, and I've made a few because our family is all in more than 24 hours away. And the times that we've driven there, I have learned that it's about the time you reach Cheyenne. Yeah. <laughs> Because you know that right on the other side is Nebraska, and you're never getting across it. <laughs> and when you get across it, finally, then you've got Iowa, and then Illinois. And then you've got to cut down somewhere in there. We usually cut down to Kansas and go that way, just so we can say we've been there. Um, but it's, you know, about five hours into the trip, and you still have 19 or 20 to go. And uh, that's where you get impatient, right here. And, uh, you know, if we were already practically perfect, like Mary Poppins, all of us Mary Poppins, and all we needed was a little bump to get over the top um, from Christ, like a little grace bump um, to get over the top, then it would be easier. But we're far from that. Our heart is wayward. Our fire sometimes burns hot and Quite often, it's like uh, we have a fireplace in our upstairs, and I don't know what it is. It's, I'm sure it has something to do with the person lighting the fire, but I cannot get a hot fire really burning in that thing for whatever reason. And I find myself every 20 minutes over there blowing on the thing to try to get it, you know, coax the flames to come back again. I know you're you're looking at me with that look like you're no boy scout or some of you are like well good you're not burning your house down um, but uh, either way uh, this is how we are uh, it's God has to blow on that those coals to get them fired up again and then we fizzle down and then he has to blow on it again and it's a constant thing we go astray early and often, and it simply takes time for an ideal to take root in our minds and to grow from blossom to full maturity, fruitful maturity. And so, as we like to take some time at the beginning of the year to give a kind of assessment and challenge to the church as we 
move into this year. And I know it's a little bit later than I normally do, but you know, it's only the third Sunday and uh, this is a good time. I know it's, it's late enough into January where most of your New Year's resolutions have been forgotten um, and you've already given up on them, but uh, not too late for us to say, let's, let's focus on this, let's do this. I wanna focus on uh, some things I hope that we can see accomplished this year. Our theme for the year comes from John 4, verse 35. Hopefully we'll have the um, traditional poster up soon. But Jesus said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. White already. I preached it not too long ago. I hope that God will give us this year a greater share in his harvest. But as with every area of fruitfulness, we need patience. And I'll add to that, that if we are to have a great share in the harvest, we ourselves must become fruitful. So it's not, it, it wouldn't be right for us to say, okay, we wanna, we wanna bring souls in. We wanna bring in the sheep. So we're just gonna go out and work to do them. I have seen in the churches I grew up in, especially, the emphasis placed on that where people were not developing roots and were not themselves becoming fruitful, but they were bringing in gobs of people. And then before long, uh, the, those people burned out and were gone. We can't do that. We can't be so outwardly focused that we are inwardly neglectful. So it is necessary that we ourselves be fruitful and understand that our harvesting is related to personal fruitfulness, the growth that we do as God's word dwells in us richly and as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, we then become fruitful in our efforts to win the lost to Jesus Christ. Sanctification then is of utmost importance and sanctification takes time. Growth takes time. You don't grow something overnight. Well, the, I should say the things that grow overnight typically are worthless things. You can build a cardboard palace in a matter of uh, a couple of days, but that isn't going to last you. That isn't going to be the kind of shelter that you want to grow old in. And weeds grow quite large quite quickly, but we're not growing weeds here. We're not weeds ourselves. Fruitfulness takes time. And, <clears throat> pardon me, though Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 4 that we are now in the time of reaping, that we should look up, lift up our eyes and look on the fields because they are white already to harvest. <clears throat> and Jesus had foretold this, God had foretold of this time in the Old Testament, the prophets who prophesied that the reapers, it would come a day when the reapers would overtake, overtake the sowers and that we would be reaping with one hand and sowing with the other. Still, the harvest takes time. It takes time. Worthy goals require effort and labor and patience and persistence. In between the decision and the accomplishment 
there naturally must be a length of time. When you start out on vacation, you know, you can hardly wait to get there, right? But wishes don't get you there either. You've got to drive the miles, or you've got to fly the miles, you've got to travel that distance. You need to pack, drive or fly, do the traveling, and then um, there will be some time before you arrive. You can, you know, be anxious and I can't wait all you want, but uh, you will wait for the time that's prescribed for that trip. Even so, when God challenges us, when we set a course and we see a goal that we're aiming towards, uh, we have to endure. We have to, we have to go through some sleepy miles. We've got to go through, through some weary miles. We've got to go through some difficult miles in order to get there. When God challenges us, when we set the course for the next little while, we have need of patience. I'm challenged to be fruitful in every good work. I want to clear myself of the blood of all men. Um, these are common Christian goals, the goals that God's people share in common with each other. I want to faithfully discharge my duties before God. I want to hear well done good and faithful servant. I want my family to be right. I want our church to be effective and powerful. But these things, again, take time. We have to work at it. We, we can look out and we can say we're not what we ought to be. We've lost some ground, perhaps. And we can see that, perhaps. But that to see it is not to fix it, not to correct it. But it takes time, it takes effort, it takes labor, it takes toil, blood, sweat, and tears sometimes. We can only bring forth fruit with patience. Notice that little phrase at the end of verse 15. You find it only in Luke and in Luke's account of the parable of the sower. But what a vital concept it is for us to get a hold of. We have two things in our text. First, we see the man who bears ripe fruit. And secondly, we see how he does it. He does it with patience. So let's begin by observing the man who bears ripe fruit. Christ describes him as good ground. In his interpretation of the parable, which begins in verse 11, Jesus uses the word which several times each time to describe the different kinds of listeners that we might encounter, that we might be. Some listeners have heard the word too often without responding. Their heart has grown hard, if you will, by the back and forth tramping on it. Um, <clears throat> they're, they're by the wayside. The soil of their hearts is trampled down, packed tight, and their constant back and forth between the things of God and the things of the world has hardened them so that their hearts are not prepared to receive the gospel. Others are impulsive, but they never really count the cost. They latch on immediately, and they are immediately excited and, and determined. This is going to be my new life. This is going to be the new me. They latch on immediately, but the seed 
can't take root in their hardened hearts. These impulsive ones are on the rock. Easy come, easy go. It sprouts up right away, but no ability to, to take deep root. <clears throat> in some cases, the seed must compete with the cares of this world. And you notice that um, very rarely in a competition between the cares of this world and the desire to follow Christ, does the desire to follow Christ prevail with people. When we are wrapped up in the cares of this life, um, the cares of this world tend to win out. But the man who bears ripe fruit has a heart prepared to receive the word of God. The soil is plowed and tender so that the seed can be planted there. The man who bears ripe fruit is, in fact, hungry for the seed. He wants it like the ground, that soft, tender ground, is hungry for the seed where it will grow. He comes to church hungry. He prays beforehand during the song time, during prayer time. He prays, God, please feed me from your word tonight. He longs for that. Keep your heart tender towards the things of God. Keep it tender. Um, as I've mentioned to you before, um, these analogies and parables and um, illustrations that we find in the Word of God and in other places don't map 100% from experience to, or from the analogy to what we're aiming at, the target here. And so it might seem strange for you to be the soil and keep the soil tender at the same time. But that it is necessary for the dirt to be tender, for it to receive the seed and grow to fruitfulness. And that being the case, it is necessary for us to be tender towards the Lord, to be tuned, to hear his voice in the word of God that is preached. Plow up fresh places in your heart and life for that seed to be planted. Fertilize the ground, tend it, care for it, nurture it. Put in the hoe and the rake. Keep it free of weeds. Water it. Keep your heart, that's the point. Keep your heart without all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life that spring out of it will be the fruitfulness in later times. Now notice that this man <clears throat> has an honest and good heart. The two words there are close synonyms in the Greek. They both give different shades of the word good. <clears throat> it's kind of like when you might say, oh yeah, she's beautiful and gorgeous. You know, uh, that, it's that kind of thing that emphasizes the goodness of this man's heart. The man who bears ripe fruit is a good man, good in every sense. Now our King James Bible says honest. Honest and good. So we're speaking of a heart that is good in an honest sort of way, an integrity. He receives the word with integrity. He's not faking. He's not putting on a show. He's not pretending. He's not trying to be something that he isn't. But he's trying to be honest with where he is and what he is and with what he's getting from the word of God. And honestly receive it. And receive it with a good heart. His heart is noble and pure, and out of that pure heart, out of that refreshing, 
honesty and that straightforward, sincere desire that this man has for the word of God, he bears right fruit. He seeks to do what is right and good. And that is what will become a fruitful Christian, that kind of person who receives the word of God, the seed of the word, with that tender heart, honestly, rightly, as a good person, trying uh, to, to, to be fruitful, desiring that God would produce fruit in his life. There's no room for fakers or pretenders in this. God, give us, God gives us a genuine desire to do what is right and not just to make an impression on people. <clears throat> we need honest Christians with honest hearts. We all have our faults, all of us do, and part of the process of sanctification is overcoming those faults. And it is necessary that we be overcoming them in order to bear fruit. Now, we fortunately don't have to have a garden free of weeds to have fruitful plants. Now, I have noted just in watching my wife as she gardens, you know, watching my wife, I'm standing there and she's telling me stuff, and I have noticed that she does not obsess about the weeds nearly as much as what my dad used to obsess about the weeds. Now, I have like a suspicion that my dad wasn't obsessed about the weeds as much as he put on. I think he just wanted me out there working with my hands dirty in, in the garden. And uh, so he would send, out me, send me out there uh, to weed that thing, and I'd pull every weed, every little weed, come out. He'd say, well, there's some little weeds over there, and, and then pull them out, too, and... and uh, but, uh, you know, that's my wife, when she's gardening, she just keeps the weeds around until the plant gets big enough. And then I notice that she doesn't, she doesn't care as much about the weeds. Now, again, you know, these illustrations don't map 100% entirely. I don't believe there's a time in your life when you should say, you know, I'm a big boy now, I can handle a little extra sinning. Uh, no, keep, keep it clear. Keep it clean. But, but the good news is, and here's why I was saying that, I've noticed that once the plant really takes root and really takes off and it buds, that when you're watering it, as long as you keep the weeds under control, it will be fruitful. And I say that to say to you, it is not necessary for you to be fruitful to have a garden that is entirely free of weeds. And that's a good thing. Because none of us will ever have a garden entirely free of weeds. But it is necessary to be constantly chopping them down, constantly dealing with the weeds, keeping them from taking over. Because the other thing is that when you let it go, it's amazing how fast the weeds will take over and choke out those tender plants. And so it is necessary for us to deal with sin. The man who has an honest desire for the things of God, for wisdom and holiness and righteousness, who honestly bends himself in their pursuit. The man who honestly loves the Lord Jesus Christ above all else and longs for him and seeks to please him and is satisfied in him. That is the man who bears ripe fruit. 
And then notice from the, the verse, verse 15, that he has heard the word and he has kept the word. Having heard the word, he keeps it. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, I'll give you a little technical uh, lingo here. The Greek uses a participle here in a temporal sense. So participles are like adjectives and they have a variety of different ways that they're used. And here, it gives the sense of a simultaneous action. That he hears the word and as he hears it, he keeps it. So what he hears, he does. So while hearing the word, that's the idea that the participle gives. While hearing the word, they keep it. As they listen, they cling to it. They hold on to it. The word rendered keep here literally means to hold fast to something, to hold it down. They hold it in. They retain it. They think on it. They think on what they're hearing. They meditate on the word of God. But even while they're trying to sort it out in their minds and, and get at the, the meaning of it and understand it, they also are trying to put it into practice. Even before they grasp everything about it or, or even comprehend what, what they'd like to comprehend, they say, I don't fully understand that, but I see it in the word of God and I want to do it. I want to do what God says here. Too often, we want to have a perfect understanding of a thing before we let it impact our lives, before we make any adjustments in our thinking based on what it says. That isn't right. If, if the word of God shines a light on an area of your life that is wrong, don't wait to fully understand, but start immediately begin to correct that. Immediately. And when we learn of a duty that we have neglected, we see it in the word of God, then we ought to do it. We may not know everything that we ought to do. We may not be able to answer every question. But we ought to immediately begin to make corrections in that. True, we must understand what our duty is. But then we must set out to do it. Be hearers of the word, but also be doers of the word. Roll it around in your mind. Meditate on it. Turn it over and over and over until it gets inside of you. But also, do it. The Christian life is not just about knowing. It's about doing as well. Now this is the man, the doer. The man who, hearing the word, does it. While he hears it, he does it. That's the man who bears ripened fruit. He hears, he keeps, he retains until it reaches full maturity in his life. His heart also, I want you to notice, his heart, this man's heart, is purged of worldliness. Notice, and I think this is intentional, that there's a contrast made between verse 14, that man, and verse 15. The man in verse 14 brings no fruit to perfection, the Bible says. Why not? 
you know, we have uh, about, I don't know, it's close to a dozen fruit trees in our backyard <coughs> that have just been let go for a number of years. And so last, uh, well, last winter, I think, from what we understand, fruit trees should be pruned in the middle of winter, like February, March. And um, when the snow breaks, last year was, was such a mild winter anyway. But we started working on pruning those, and we got a lot of it done, but there's a lot to do. But when you don't, when you let the trees go and you don't carefully tend them, you get fruit, but it's never ripe. The trees would be covered with that. And we got closer to ripe fruit. In fact, we got about a half a bushel um, this last year from that. But uh, yeah, fruit trees, and the fruit never ripens. It's, you know, you got these tiny little apples. That's about as worthless, you know, it's about as worthless as those Chinese elm that grow all over the place. It, it, it really is of no value whatsoever. And so before Jesus tells us about a man who brings forth fruit, he tells us about a man who bears no fruit to perfection. He has fruit for sure, but none that reaches maturity. <clears throat> There's one thing that keeps a man back from bearing ripe fruit, and that is a worldly mind, a mind that is consumed with the cares of this life. A man who puts the cares of this life above his pursuit of God and God's pursuit of God. Notice that this, with this man who brings no fruit to perfection, the seed is sown among thorns, which choke out the seed. And remember that the seed is the word of God. So <clears throat> when the word of God dwells in us richly, we'll be fruitful. And when thorns choke it out, they prevent the word of God from dwelling in us richly. Notice what Jesus says of this man. When he has heard... He goes forth and is choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. This man is just the opposite of the man who has an honest and good heart. There's, a, there's an intentional contrast being set here. So what keeps us from having an honest and good heart? It is when we are choked with cares and riches and pleasures. Now this, of course, does not mean that you should ignore the cares of this life, the things you ought to be concerned with. It does not mean that you should just squander all your money and be a poor steward. And it does not mean that you cannot have any pleasures. But what it does mean is that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allow these things to be added to us by God rather than making these things our pursuit, the thing that we are after in life. Yes, we go to church because we're Christians, but what we're consumed with are the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And that will keep you from bringing forth fruit to maturity, to perfection. 
And I would argue that this is one of the most common faults among Christians, especially in this day and age when we are so distracted. Our lives are so full of things to do, of events and activities. And listen, it is so easy to get consumed with these things. I had to, a few months ago, have a reckoning with my phone. Because my wife kept saying stuff like, you know, you spend a lot of time on that. And then I had to look at it and say, yeah, I am spending a lot of time on this. And we have to get off of it. It's one of the easiest and most common distractions today for us. And it invites us to be consumed with the cares of this life because you're always checking Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whatever else, uh, other social media out there and your text messages and your emails. And you can go from just like on this revolving, this, this hamster wheel of constantly going nowhere, getting nothing done, but checking up all the time on this stuff. And it, it consumes our mind and prevents our spiritual growth. We have to keep that under control. Not just that, but that's, that's a big one in this day and age. We're distracted. Our lives are full of things to do, events and activities. And the affairs of this life so easily choked out the word. We're too wrapped up in our own lives to be the kind of Christians that can bear fruit. Our own lives, in many cases, our own life, living that life, chokes out the word. <clears throat> you know, I... We could, we could illustrate it any number of ways, but I think you get the idea. Uh, if, if, if we put anything as a higher priority for us, and I don't mean, you know, you've got to spend as much time reading the Bible as you do reading any other thing or watching any other thing. I don't say that. I, I do view the Word of God like, um, you know, a can of, uh, grape juice, if you get the can, the frozen concentrate, you know, and you add water to it, the Word of God is packed with that and other things. That's why, you know, we'll preach for an hour on a verse, right? Because we're unpacking what's in that verse right there. So I don't say that. Let's don't worry about like a time balance here. Let's don't obsess about little things like that. But let's say, what is your mind concerned with? What are you thinking about? What, what fills your thoughts? What are you talking about when you talk to your friends? If, listen, if, if the only thing that you can talk about are the, the fun that you're having or the work that you're doing, and you can't discuss the things of God, what God is doing in your life, what, how God is building you up, or, or any of that, you can't discuss, certainly can't discuss the sermon, but you can't wait for the sermon to be done so you can talk about sports or you can talk about work or you can talk about the fun that you're doing or having or whatever. Well, then that would be evidence that the cares of this life are choking out the word of God 
for you. We need to take an assessment of this in our lives. We need to be concerned about this because we need to understand that there, we are in a war and there's a constant conflict for the preeminence in your mind. There's a constant battle for your focus, for your attention, and you very easily, very quickly become consumed with everything except the Word of God, everything except walking with Him, praying, and so forth. <clears throat> the cares of this life prevent Christian maturity when the cares of this life become all-consuming. And I say this, I see this happen with people. You go through a difficult time, and you become consumed with that. That's all you think about. That's all you talk about. The hard time that you're having. Now I understand that I am not unsympathetic to the difficulty that you're facing. But we have to be consumed with the word of God. And understand that this difficulty that I'm facing right now is something that I, just as I preached this morning, right? Peter, the disciples, John, the disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they're in a storm. Not a metaphorical storm, right? Not a spiritual storm. They are in a storm, okay? A real one. Big waves. Tough winds. Contrary. And Jesus is giving them a message in that time that I am God of this and I am enough for you. And in our times of crisis, it's necessary for us to understand that God has now called me to walk with him through this crisis through this difficulty. And he is going to show me that he is sufficient in this time. Otherwise, all we talk about is our angst. All we talk about is our burden. All we talk about is the thing that was done to us. All we talk about is our feelings. We're consumed with self. And self chokes out the word. The same can be said for riches, for pleasures, um, at least our desire to have them, uh, that chokes out the possibility of maturity. Now, I won't limit that to monetary wealth. Two things, I think, really prevent us from being su successful in our Christian life. One is a lack of fire, a lack of fervor, passion. And the other is a lust for success. Really, really, we can say that the success or failure, maturity or immaturity of a Christian, is not based on whether or not they're apathetic, but what they are apathetic about. Because there are many Christians who are um, apathetic about growing in Christ. If they grow, they grow. 
If they don't, well, we'll just keep going the way we are. But they are very passionate about the goals that they have in life, the things they're pursuing, the goals they're trying to achieve. And I'm saying that maturity, Christian fruitfulness, comes when we become apathetic towards our goals. And I know that that just goes against like New Year's resolutions and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that we should pursue half-heartedly, faintly. Not saying that at all. Whatsoever thy hand findeth do, do with thy might. But if it doesn't work out, okay. We'll adjust the goals and we'll try again. But this is this is what I see happen. If if I fall short of a goal, if I don't reach what I'm trying to reach, I don't get the promotion at work, I don't get the pay increase I was hoping for, I don't get the job I wanted, I don't um, get to take the vacation I wanted. And I see people that are shattered by it. Shattered by it. But they haven't grown in Christ or in grace visibly in a marked way years and they are cold about it i'm concerned they're not walking with the lord they're not fervent in prayer that's what i'm talking about that's the way that the cares and riches and pleasures of this life choke out the word of god so that we bear no fruit to perfection right there <clears throat> We're distracted away from the pure word of God and become all caught up in what we want to do, what we want to achieve, what we want to have. And of course, the pleasures of this life turn away our focus from the Lord and prevent fruit from maturity. I could give lots of examples. Some people are, are wrapped up in people, and I see this as a really common thing where our whole life revolves around acceptance from other people and being in with certain people. And so you would never be shattered by not reaching a, a financial goal. You would not be shattered by not reaching a vocational goal. But man, if it seems like somebody might not be 100% happy, 120% happy with you, your life, you are crushed. You're like in the, in the depths of despair for days on end. That's the way the cares of this world are choking out your, your growth as a Christian, your walk with the Lord. <clears throat> Again, I see this happen quite often. It isn't for lack of desire. It isn't for lack of fervor that we don't have mature fruit. It's because of our lives, because of the way we live, because of the priorities that we've placed. We love soft living or luxury or pleasures or enjoyments or acceptance, approval from other people to the extent that it chokes out a full-hearted spirituality. Too often we're double-minded in that way. The man described in verse 14 hears the word, grasps its meaning, 
desires to have it take root, spends at least a part of his time striving to live by it, and is to an extent devoted to it, to a limited extent. But then he's double-minded. Other parts of the day, he goes back and forth. He's not reading his Bible or listening to the preaching. You know, in the preaching, in the moment, you know, like right now, he's thinking, that's it. He's right. I've got to make that my priority. I've got to get that right. But then Monday morning comes, you know, and the boss frowns at him, and now he's devastated. Again, he can't think about anything else. You see what I mean on that? It's so easy for us to let our mind be drawn away from the things of God all week long. And we come to Saturday and we haven't given two thoughts to God, to his word, to prayer, to the things of God. Fruit doesn't grow to maturity that way. The second thing that I want to consider is how this man bears ripe fruit. And I want you to notice, first of all, that the fruit is produced in him. <clears throat> it's the word at work in him that produces this fruit. Okay, so you can, you can just like when I was a kid, you know, uh, I would hang from the uh, chin-up bar because I wanted to be tall. Right? <laughs> and if they had told me, and they, no one ever told me about ankle weights, but if they had told me about them, I would have worn them, I promise you, because I wanted to be told. Okay, but that's not how you get told. And the same thing, it's the word is what produces the maturity. And the, the way the word is affecting you. How much, it, how much it fills you. How much it dwells richly in you. The seed is sown in good ground. You know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You can't grow much, you know, in clay or in mud, in sand, I'm sorry. But by the grace of God, God has made our hearts like fertile soil for that seed. But even then, tender hearts can't grow fruit on their own. The seed is the word, and the seed, when planted in the tender heart, the fertile heart, grows into maturity and produces ripe fruit. So the fruit is produced in us. So the, the answer is, and, and again, this is why analogies don't entirely map, okay? Because the seed has the power and the life in it. The seed in my heart. And the seed itself, when the seed is able to do what it does, isn't choked out by anything, that it becomes, it grows into maturity. But we notice that the fruit is produced with patience. And that's the point we've been trying to get at. The word for with, uh, the Greek word that's used there, is the Greek preposition en, which en uh, is, literally we can transliterate it to in, our word in, uh, to point to, to refer to a place. But it also is used, the N is used not just to refer to a location, but also to, to refer to a means, a way that this is done. So N 
literally means by means of patience. That it <clears throat> brings forth fruit by means of or with patience. Darrell. Through patience, we become fruitful Christians. Now, this is, this is really, if I can emphasize this to you, the way the Christian life looks from the time you become a Christian to the time you die, there are certain things that you're going to do day after day after day. And the result of that is going to be a glorious, fruitful maturity. Those things are simple. You're going to read your Bible day after day, year after year. You're going to meditate in it day by day. Dwell on it. Let it dwell in you. Think on it throughout the day. You're going to pray and seek God's face. You're going to do that multiple times every day. Pray without ceasing. And as you do that, that persistence, that patience, that stick to itness will result in fruitful maturity. The word patience can be understood in several senses. We can understand it in the sense of endurance, in the sense of perseverance, and in the sense of patience. The man who produces mature fruit endures much. The Greek word that's used here is, uh, includes a prefix, but the root is mane, which means literally a place to stay, an inn, or a watch house. And the way it's used right here is to refer to staying power, steadfastness. He endures through trial and conflict and crisis and depression and discouragement and despair and difficulty and defeat. But he believes that God is bringing these things into his life because God is chiseling away the rough edges and shaping and sanding and perfecting his work, refining by fire at times. God is doing this for my sake. To bring me to an expected end. And so I'm trusting God to lead through this, to work through this, to accomplish his perfecting work in me. I bear it then. That's the way we can echo the words of James, my brother, and count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Patience working in you through difficulty that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. He fails, he falls short, he looks back with horror at the things he's left behind and the mess he's left, his faults and mistakes, but still he presses on. He's discouraged but he doesn't despair. He perseveres, sticks to the task, sets his mind and heart to it, determines to reach it. He stands firm through difficulty. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, said the Apostle Paul, 
right? He didn't think he had apprehended. What are you thinking? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting them. Not just what was done to you, but your own failures and faults in the past. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is not easy for anybody. Right? You can look around and say, well, it looks easy for him. It's not easy for him. I'm telling you, it's not easy for anyone. Anyone. Not me, not anybody else. It is not easy. We have to press toward the mark. We have to. But if we'll persevere, then we'll find much fruitfulness and blessing. <coughs> Growth requires persistence. That's the message. He's patient. He waits on the Lord. He maintains his hope and trust, his confidence in the Lord, and allows God to do his work. Yes, don't be content if you you know, there have been times when I, I believed I was under chastisement for things, mistakes I had made where there were immediate consequences for it that were visible to me. And I find myself in that place and I think, Lord, I accept that. I deserve this. Right? And then after a while, I realized that the Lord was saying to me, don't be okay with staying here. You know, just like when I spanked my kids and they were just stayed bent over after I was done. You know, we're done now. We're done with this. Stand up. Let's move on. Right? And there is a time of chastisement, but there's also a time when we get up and we get moving again. Patience. Trusting God and what he's trying to accomplish in my life. Bearing up under distress with a sense of expectation that God has a purpose in this, that God is working this for good in my life, and so I wait for Jesus to finish his work. Because again, fruit takes time. I can't help but think of the patience of the servant here that's illustrated by his work. Almost all the times that require the sower to work the harvest are the times that produce the least amount of fruitfulness. Immediate fruitfulness. <coughs> because he goes out in the spring and he plows the dirt. And what does he get for his trouble? Dirt. Nice soft dirt, right? Then he goes and plants the seed and then he sees nothing for a while. And he watches. And of course, you know what happens. The weeds drop first and then the plants. And it takes time, and he's concerned about it. And are these plants going to grow up to maturity? He does not know. But those times require the most work from him. With, as far as instant gratification, there is none. You know, our culture that lives for instant gratification is far removed from the days when we were, uh, we were farmers. Because farmers knew better than that. 
And then he watches and waits, sometimes anxiously. He does what he can, but most of the time he has to leave it alone and let it grow. He knows he put good seed down in good ground, and other than dealing with the weeds, everything else, he has to wait and trust the process. That's, what, that's how they say it these days. Trust the process, right? And we have to trust the work that God does. So, what do we do? Plow up the ground in our hearts, plant good seed there, water it, weed it, and watch for God to bring a harvest. Jesus made a promise, though, in the parable of the sower. He made a promise that we would bring forth fruit with patience. Now, some are more fruitful than others, but the promise is that all will be fruitful. We can expect that to happen. <clears throat> but also, tonight I want to challenge you when it comes to harvest work. And I want to challenge you with this one thing when it comes to harvest work. Jesus promised that the reaper would overtake the sower and that we plant with one hand and reap with the other. How are we supposed to understand that? Because it seems like we've got a couple different things going here. We can't expect to sow and reap at the same time. Sometimes the seed will take root very quickly and we'll reap very quickly as well. But other times we'll sow in one place and we'll reap in another. But <clears throat> bringing forth fruit with patience also teaches us that we must be steadfast when it comes to those we witness to. We have to be patient. We have to be persistent. We have to go after them regularly, faithfully. If we're to bring them safely into the barn, and that is the only goal in our witnessing, it is not to get a decision at the, at the door or get them to pray a prayer in there. Taken, that's taken care of. The goal is to bring them safely into the barn, and let's think of the barn immediately as the church, but really not, because the reason to bring them in the barn of the church is that we can deliver them up to the Lord, to heaven. And that takes a lot of persistence, sometimes over years. And we'll need to be committed to that person, to work with them diligently, to teach them, to instruct them, to challenge them. Look, we have a handful of people that God has given us to work with. Another one this week. Praise the Lord for that. But the seed is not, the fruit is not in the barn, folks. And so we have to take those people and say, okay, they're coming along and they're becoming more faithful and praise the Lord for that. But we've got to keep going for them, keep going after them, keep working with them, keep calling them, keep texting them, keep doing Bible studies with them or offering to do Bible studies with them. And don't give up till they hit the eject button. Stick with it. I hope I can urge you to commit to this, to remember that the fruit comes with patience. Persevere. Be steadfast. Do the hard work of bringing the harvest home. 